Previously on Colors. Carol Magruder, co-chair of the African-American Tobacco Control Leadership Council and their fight to ban menthol cigarettes and flavored cigars. In addition to the nicotine, which is the addictive part of cigarettes, but menthol, it cools and numbs your throat. It dilates the alveoli in the lungs, so it allows the toxins to go deeper and stay longer in the lungs. And even though Black people generally smoke less than others, we have a lot more death and morbidity from smoking than other groups. Coming up in this episode of Colors. Women of color who are journalists have always faced tremendous backlash, but now they and all women, frankly, are facing something that's far worse than it's ever been. What we've found is that women journalists pretty much everywhere in the world are are getting attacked by uh, people online uh, in ways that are vicious and extremely personal. Craig Timberg, an editor at The Washington Post, talking about their collaborative series and the growing attacks on women journalists online. Um, in some cases, their work is attacked, but at other times, um, uh, they're being you know, they're using tools to put up fake images of them um, you know, in pornographic poses. They're showing them being hit by drone strikes. There's this apparently this like deep, intense anger. Why is this happening? Where is it happening? And what to do about it? That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. My name is Vanessa Cárdenas, and I am a first-generation American. Um, my family is originally from Bolivia. My name is John Yang. I'm Chinese-American. I grew up in Chicago and was born in Taipei, Taiwan. My name is Cindy Smith. I am a black female. I currently live in Los Angeles, California. And I'm JJ Green. I'm black. And this is Colors. As an African-American man and a journalist and a journalist who works in national and international security, I've had my share of side eye, shade, or just bad feelings, if you will, thrown my way. Um, and it doesn't matter what you do, when you do it, or how you do it, there are just going to be people that just don't like you, and that's just it. That's their problem, and it's not yours. But here's 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 a bigger problem, though. That's nothing compared to what women go through. Women journalists, particularly, we're talking about today, and specifically, women journalists, mostly of color, um, are facing a, a horrendous situation right now. Washington Post and a collaborative did this series of articles called Story Killers. And it's unbelievable what these women go through. Craig Timberg, an editor with The Washington Post, joins us to talk about it. Craig, thank you for taking time to talk with us today. For many years, reporters have been under pressure. Um, and um, this is nothing new. Um, 
but it seems to be a different kind of pressure and it's much more pernicious now. So there is a new piece of journalism that's come out. It's called Story Killers. It's a project led by Forbidden Stories, which is a Paris-based consortium of investigative journalists. They pursue work of assassinated and threatened reporters and editors worldwide. Washington Post is involved in this particular project. And this latest piece talks about this global epidemic, that's the words the Post used, of online harassment, which is impacting thousands of women journalists worldwide. So could you just start us off by giving us uh, some kind of scene setter for um, exactly what's going on with this harassment campaign of women? What we've found is that women journalists pretty much everywhere in the world are are, um, are getting attacked by uh, people online uh, in ways that are vicious and extremely personal. Um, in some cases, their work is attacked, but at other times, um, uh, they're being you know, they're using tools to put up fake images of them, um, you know, in pornographic poses, um, and uh, they're showing them being hit by drone strikes. There's this apparently this like deep, intense anger um, towards women that tends to manifest itself in this way. And when when people have tried to survey this, they found thousands of women journalists say, yeah, I've, I've been the victim of that kind of thing. So is this in any way organized or is this just some kind of organic hatred or movement that's kind of spread throughout? our uh, social media or traditional media or the world? I, I think it's a mix. I think in some cases it's spontaneous. Some women, particularly the ones who appear on TV, seem to um, trigger something uh, uh, in some parts of their audience. Um, but I do think that there's also coordinated campaigns as well run by particularly powerful figures when they're called to account. And there's evidence of this, for example, um, you know, in, in Pakistan, where one of the journalists in our story um, lives and works, and it d- that does seem like it was coordinated. And when you talk to the social media companies, they absolutely find evidence of coordination um, in, in attacks on all sorts of people, including journalists. How serious is this? Uh, in terms of the impact on these women and their, the threat to their security and safety? You know, you can think about it in two different ways. Um, w- one is it's absolutely um, debilitating for some of the women who are attacked. And this is, you know, if your if your personal life gets gets spread around online, your um, your where you live and, and where you hang out gets spread around online. P- women do rightly feel under attack in a very personal and frightening way. Some of them um, become less public. Some of them leave the business altogether. We found women like that. Um, the other piece of it is, um, you know, in addition to this personal suffering, uh, we all lose out when women can't do their jobs, right? I mean, I suspect you've been doing this work for a while and, you know, I'm pretty good at what I do. I think you're pretty good at what you do, but there's things that we don't see as well um, as men. And so we really need women to be free to 
do this kind of work, to report on the world, to examine difficult issues. And when they lose their ability to do that, we all suffer and our democracy suffers. Yeah, I agree with you, Craig. We, and I'll go a little further. We can't, we, we can't do our jobs at all without women being involved because there's this lens, you know, half, in, at least in the U.S., 51% of us are women, you know? So, you know, there's this lens that things have to be, you know, observed through. And, and, and we just, as men, simply don't have that capability. So it is important for women to, right. to, to be there. And, and so has this gone beyond just harassment? Has there been any kind of physical concern or physical attacks that have taken place because of this? Um, the short answer is is yes. There are some. There are. There have been physical attacks. Uh, you know, one of the most famous cases uh, and, an, and an inspiration for this entire project was the murder of a of an Indian journalist named Gauri Lankesh back in 2017, and in a very celebrated case. Um, you know, she had been, um, she worked in Bangalore where she ran a weekly and uh, and had been speaking up about Hindu extremism and, and speaking up about disinformation. And, you know, people grew deeply fixated on her. They spread all of these lies about her on social media that she hated Hinduism and that she was against against India. And, you know, a couple of guys pulled up on a motorcycle and shot her to death. Um, that, that case is, you know, has been at trial for some time, but you can't separate that experience from the fact that she's a woman and the fact that she was talking about difficult issues. Um, so there is, there is real risk to people. Yeah. You know, I saw this one particular story that was pretty prominent. Um, and, and I think the woman's name was Gari Dari Faruqi, um, who is in Pakistan and, this whole thing came up and was presented to the president, former president, former prime minister there, Imran Khan. And he supposedly responded when, you know, asked about this or spoken to about it, saying if she would invade male dominated spaces, then she is bound to be harassed. Do you get the sense from your reporting from you and your team that there are places in the world where that actually people actually believe that still that that is actually the prevailing uh, mo for people who don't like journalists or female journalists that that is something that's legitimate that she should be or will be attacked if she tries to do something that a man is doing and is that the prevailing wisdom that you're finding Certainly in some places it is. Our lead reporter on this story, Taylor Lorenz, spoke at great length with this journalist, Garita Faruqi, and she, she, that is how she describes it. And, and we heard similar things from other journalists in other countries. Um, I can think of a Liberian journalist who was describing the idea that, you know, like people are sort of okay with her doing journalism, but what they want her to do is sort of soft feature journalism about, you know, women who've lost their husbands or you know, basically report on family matters. But what she did and wants to do is write about corruption in politics, as lots of journalists do. And, you know, the backlash against her for breaking some stories was, you know, really destroyed her career. Like her name doesn't appear with her stories anymore. Uh, and she speaks, very, you know, in the, in the version of the story that's on 
the WashingtonPost.com website, there's actually a video of her talking about what it's like. And that's exactly as she describes. Like, if she is told that when she does her work, she is invading male spaces, and hence the consequences are only natural. And so that view, you know, to our ears is so chilling, but we heard it again and again when we went out and spoke to women journalists. I know that you were doing this predominantly overseas and in developing countries, et cetera. Uh, so by default, all of these women are going to be women of color, uh, I suppose, or to some degree, uh, part of possibly some minority. But was there a racial piece to this or was this just misogynistic hatred? You know, they were women of color in countries where they were part of the dominant ethnic group. So I, I do think it really has to do with, um, in this case, more misogyny than racial race or ethnicity per se. But I do think if you spoke to a bunch of, you know, black women journalists in this country, you probably would hear a different account of that. It so happens that the women we spoke to, again, were sort of from the dominant group in their countries. But I do think that, um, and I guess I should be asking you this question, but I do think it's it's hard to completely separate out the experience of, you know, of race and these sorts of attacks. Right. And because, you know, on the internet, people are anonymous. A lot of times people's worst sides come out, they brigade and harass and attack. They get some sort of pleasure out of it, apparently. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm like, I'm a middle-aged white guy. So like, you know, you know, and I, I've been attacked online for stories I've done. Um, but I, I just, I have to assume that, you know, that it is a different experience if you're, yeah. you know, a black person or, you know, Hispanic person in this country or really anywhere else. Yeah. You know, um, I have so many questions about that whole race piece of this and, and, and but I can't get too far down in the weeds on this because you have a job as an official Washington Post um, editor and uh, so I, I kind of want to pull out the, the important nuggets of, of the work that you've done with this so far but I want to ask you in doing so is how did the Post become involved in this project? Um, was it an invitation or was it something you sought out or just how did that come about? You know, the Post has done a series of these big collaborative investigations over the past three or four years. Um, the first one I did was called the Pegasus Project. It was about government surveillance, and that was about a year and a half ago. Um, and it was with many of these same partners, as it turns out. So there's a kind of like a group that we keep coming back and working together because we like working together and we feel like the impact of our work is greater when we can sort of, when we can sort of grab our hands together. This includes, you know, the Guardian and Der Spiegel and Haratz and Lamond. Um, uh, and, and we've worked together quite a few times and we, and it, it's gone well. So we keep doing it in this case. Um, you know, the, the, the group in France, you mentioned forbidden stories convened us for a meeting in Paris back in June and said, you know, we really want to do a project on disinformation, but we also want to do a project that is inspired by the death of this of this Indian journalist whose name I mentioned earlier, Gary Lankesh. And, you know, even though we team up on these things with these other news organizations, we kind of do them all in our own way. And, you know, no one's packages look exactly the same. I, I grew really interested in uh, 
you know, what I, what I just noticed as a colleague that women were getting attacked online. And I thought, well, you know, it is as terrible as it is that this Indian journalist was killed back in 2017. In a way, I feel like the more widespread problem is women generally getting harassed online in ways that keep them from doing their work and keep us from hearing their work. And so that's kind of, so that was, that was essentially my idea. And I asked, you know, one of our best journalists, Taylor Lorenz, you know, who has some experience with these kinds of issues to dig in and reach out and, and meet some people. So our stories look a little different than those of our partners, but we do really like working with, with other news organizations. In fact, my job exists. You know, they appointed me last year to kind of spearhead these things. And my job exists because, you know, yeah. we want to, we want to do this stuff. Cool. So, so you mentioned a few minutes ago, you know, the, the, you know, women of color in this country, how they might, you know, view this through that lens or what, whatever lens they view it through, what, what is going on. So have you seen, based on the, the work you've done, the research you and your, your colleagues have done, have you seen anything that would be commensurate with that kind of level of attack and harassment um, against uh, minority journalists, female journalists uh, of color here in this country? You know, I didn't do the reporting on this story. You know, I, I'm an editor now, and so I didn't really reach my arms out widely in that way. Um, and we did sort of conceive of it as an international project. Um, but I, I know anecdotally, it feels like virtually every woman I know in the business has at least one or usually more stories to tell about this. And this includes Black women and other other minority groups. So um a lot of times these things are shared kind of in confidence. So I'm not sure I can, I'm not sure I'm at liberty to, to describe them here, but Understood. I do think it's a, I do think it's a really pervasive problem. I do strongly suspect um, that if you looked at it carefully and maybe we should, that, that there is an intensity and um, cruelty that is probably harsher with, with, with black women yeah. than with others. It's just, a, it's just my instinct. So, Craig, do you get the sense that this is getting worse as time marches on, or where does it stand? It does feel like it's getting worse. It's a little hard to quantify these things because no one really tracks it. But, um, you know, w- when Taylor sort of did research, he found that, a, you know, a quarter of all women had pretty terrible stories to tell. Um, and it, that seems like a, a lot to me. Um, you know, so that's like, they surveyed, you know, I think seven, I can't remember the exact numbers, forgive me, but many, many, many women have this problem. And, you know, social media is like an ever more pervasive part of our lives. I covered tech and social media for about a decade for the post. And, you know, it, it seems like this has been a problem for a long time and yet it does seem to be getting worse. And I don't know if anybody has a real remedy for it. You know, yeah. I mean, you, you've watched the debate around free speech and and there's been a real pushback against, you know, efforts by the by the social media platforms to do sort of serious moderation. It seems like there's a lot of resistance to that, including in Congress. Um, and, you know, it's part of the reason why I think Elon Musk bought Twitter. So, 
you know, I don't think this is getting better. I think it's probably getting worse. So have you seen any mobilization among uh, groups of people to fight this, um, whether it's women themselves, women journalists, organizations? What are they doing? What we found is that um, when these things happen, there's, an, you know, these journalistic groups investigate um, the problems and they'll issue reports and they'll condemn it. One of their findings is that newsrooms actually aren't doing a great job with this, that they, we struggle to understand how to do it and and probably inadvertently contribute to the problems that sort of grew up or, you know, when there's controversy around an employee, all corporations struggle with those things. Um, but I, I'd say on a broad level, I'm not sure anybody's doing anything effective at this point. It just feels like... Um, and I'd say this about social media in general, like it just seems like it's a, it's just a crazy world out there and nobody knows how to bring it under control. I wish, I wish we did. Um, but it is not, it is just not seem to be getting better. That's pretty sad. I mean, I mean, yeah. you know, you see these problems and, 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 and yeah, there has, there has to be, there has to be a way to attack it. And, you know, good on you and the Washington post for, doing this because the thing that caught my eye was story killers. And I read the, just the first few lines and I thought, I know this story, uh, but you know, yeah. I, I, yeah. So, I mean, I know so many women of color, uh, just, just women in general who have these horror stories about them simply trying to do their job. They're sexualized, they're harassed in many cases, you know, there's a growing uh, concern about the safety of journalists here in the U.S. because of the political season and, you know, what took place a few years ago. So I can only imagine how terrible it is in places where the rule of law is not as strong as it is here. So this kind of important uh, reporting is really, really good. So let me ask you a couple more quick questions to kind of bring this to a close here. What is it that you at The Washington Post wanted to convey to the readers? And what is it that you wanted them to get from this? You know, we we have a kind of funny role in society in that all we really ever can do is point out problems. I and mean, we're not really, it's not really our business to solve those problems, oddly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're, we're sort of like the, we're sort of like the, we're like on the, Watchtower saying like that this is a problem and that's the problem or yeah, alternatively yeah, no, it's, this it's, is a good it's thing. not it's not our job to tell people what to think it's yeah. just to produce right show them what the problem is so did you achieve yeah that? I mean, it's about spotlighting right and and so we thought that if we could pull together um, some really strong personal accounts from a lot of different places and could show the ways that these were sort of common that there's similar things happening in a bunch of different cultures that people would react the way you did, which is to see this is not, you know, just individual um, abuse and suffering, but like a broader problem in the way our democracy functions, right? We, we don't, we're not at our best when women journalists can't do their jobs. And so we were looking for a way to kind of demonstrate that and illustrate, I hope we succeeded. I think you did. <laughs> And I, I think you'll probably find that out pretty soon. Um, uh, and, you know, I'm sure you track, you know, how, how many people read your stuff and you probably have gotten quite, quite a bit of response already. In fact, uh, that's, that was my, 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 my last question. How have people responded to this piece, this work? I mean, really well in general, it, it got, 
we had lots of readers um, for it. It had a decent um, conversation going on social media. You know, one of the things we worry about is when when you spotlight attacks on people that you inspire more attacks on them. And so we've been, been as careful as we can to try to avoid that. But I'd say in general, the response has been really gratifying. Most people have reacted the way you did, which is to say, wow, this is an even bigger, broader problem than I understood. And I'd like to talk about it and maybe do something about it. And that is indeed it's very gratifying when people, you know, when you, when you, when you, when you write about a problem and people just, uh, you know, at least pause from it and think about it and think about whether we can work to make the world a better place. Yeah. I mean, my thing was just stopping to think if I had to go through that every day, I mean, to the degree that these women, especially in places where they're not the kinds of protections that we have here in the States, I mean, it's it's remarkable that they're able to, to do this, but, you know, there is something we can do as journalists, and as you said, to spotlight it, and I think you did a magnificent job in doing that. So thank you for, for the work, and thanks for taking time to talk to us. Yeah, definitely, and thank you for your kind words and for taking time to talk with me. I appreciate it. Stay tuned for some thoughts about race in America and details about our next guest. You're listening to Colors. Hi, my name is Kiki, and I am from the Massachusetts suburbs, but I was actually born in China and adopted and raised by a white American family. On one side, uh, they are second-generation immigrants from Portugal, and on the other side, it's a Swedish-Italian-American blend. So I think growing up, being Asian-American, but also being raised in a white household, Um, just put me in between a lot of worlds. I didn't realize until college that everyone else would see me as being more Asian American and personally I would identify more with my white peers Um, and I kind of struggle with working for racial justice right now. I think that it's easy to gloss over being Asian or Asian American or Pacific Islander or indigenous and I think that rightfully so there's a focus on black and Latinx folks right now but I wonder if there's more room for intersectionality as we continue to have these dialogues. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. If you have any questions or comments about Colors, send us an email. You can reach us at colors at thecolorspodcast.com. That's colors at thecolorspodcast.com. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. It's time for another feedback session. What are your thoughts about race in America? A lot of things have happened in this last year. Has anything in particular changed or moved you? Let us know. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. Thanks to everyone that participated in this and helped us to get this show together. Thanks to Kathleen Floyd, especially at the Washington Post, for making Craig Timberg available to us. And uh, thank you to Hillary Howard, Mike Jakaitis, Joe Lossley, Julia Ziegler. Thank you as well for our music to Offshane, Cosmic, and Jesse Gallagher. And most of all, thank you to you for listening. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors a dialogue on race in America.